2: It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
3: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Nori back with Mark Leslie. His website is linked up at coasttocoastam.com. Mark, we were talking about macabre Montreal. I'll let you finish up a little bit about that. It's really an unusual, interesting place, isn't it?
4: Yeah, yeah. I was talking a little bit about what was going on at McGill University where there were some connections to investigations being done by the CIA in terms of brainwashing. And there were over 80, um, 80 patients who had suffered through some of the experiments they were doing. And it was uh, a combination of sensory deprivation, lack of sleep, uh, uh, electroshocks, and and drugs like LSD and and other drugs, trying to get uh, the students, for example, who believed one thing, whether it was religious, uh, pro-religious, anti-religious, anti-scientific, etc., and and then just just doing this to them, and then forcing. These this audio uh, recorded audio over and over and over, so they would come out completely brainwashed, kind of like you know you remember the Manchurian Candidate.
3: Yeah, great, very very
4: very similar. So that was a significant thing that happened uh, right then in McGill University. Uh, So that was kind of a disturbing uh, thing when you think about that. So it's you know you look at a big city like that and you're thinking about all the the bizarre underground things that could be happening uh, through time.
3: You co-authored a book called "Haunted Hospitals," a f- yeah. fascinating story. And when you were on coast with me, you got an interesting call that still shakes you. Tell us about that.
4: <laughs> yeah, this was this was uh, <clears throat> this was really disturbing because it was the, one of the live calls, and I had I think you and I were probably talking about one of my haunted bookstore book at the time, and uh, bookstores and libraries. And we had a call from uh, a caller from Alberta, Canada. Be, I'm from Canada myself, and it was from the Pinoca uh, Alberta Mental Hospital. And this was where uh, this person had worked as a um, you know worked there with the patients. And uh, the story was related to a woman that you know, we will call Martha for for lack of using her real name. And and she was in her mid 50s, and this was in the early 80s when this happened. And he. Um, he would work the night shift often uh, with other candidates. She would get violent. They would have to have multiple people hold her down. There were times when uh, they believed that she must have been possessed because she would complain about the room she was in being very, very cold. And then they'd move her to another room, uh, and, and the room was cold. And they'd move her to another room, and the room she was in would go back to normal. And then the new room she, they put put her in was constantly cold. But the, the, the thing that freaked me out, was when the caller described walking into a room one night and checking uh, up on her. Uh, they would all often hear her having these conversations and screaming and, and stuff like that in the room, and, and he heard these voices from the room, so he went in to check, and she is sleeping. But the, the freaky thing about it was she was sleeping, but she was standing with her feet on the wall, about four feet up from the wall, and she was parallel to the ground, her head was facing down, he could see her hair hanging over her face, and it, it, she was sleeping, but kind of sort of levitating, but sort of standing on the side of the wall. He backed out of the room, freaked out, didn't know what to do, didn't tell anyone. He went back to the room where they were watching TV and doing, you know the break room, didn't say anything until he came on that show, uh, until uh, you know he came on your show, yeah, and shared the story. Now, your producer was kind enough to put me in contact with him afterwards because I wanted to get more details to include in the haunted hospitals, which I had been working on. And that's when he shared the story that a friend of his heard the show and and recognized his voice and contacted them a couple days later, and they went out for coffee, and his friend said, when I heard you tell that story, I'm about to tell you something I've never told anyone before. And he went into that same woman's room a different night and saw the same sort of thing, but she was levitating, standing completely up, and she was about a foot off the floor. And again, she was sleeping, but her body was just levitating in the air. And and, and again, I'm just getting goosebumps just thinking about uh, about that right now. And um, and that was just a really freaky incident.
3: It's amazing what's happening. What do you think of possessions?
4: Mark. Well, I think I, I I'm I'm fascinated by by the fact that. Uh, is a possession a demon that's inhabiting somebody's body? Is it, is it a, just a spirit, a lost spirit, or a ghost? And, and, and I think of the same thing with possessions uh, of a people or of things. And I, I, it's, it's, it's really a difficult thing to consider. But when you think about how do, how do evil entities get into our world, through people maybe one of the ways, right? Through, through a person, through a body, it may be one of the ways that they can inhabit this plane is by taking over a person's body.
3: And if they do, look out. I know when their exorcisms performed, these demons are more than just spirits. They're pretty evil.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're very, very much not just the spirit of a departed person, but something a lot darker, a lot a lot more disturbing.
3: You've got other books out there, of course, uh, called Spooky Sudbury. Tell us about that.
4: So Sudbury is uh, where I grew up in mid-northern Ontario. It is a mining community, the nickel capital of the world, and uh, there were plenty of ghost stories from there, but also plenty of UFO stories, which I thought was quite, quite fascinating.
3: Did tell us what about your using? beliefs in UFOs. Sorry? Tell us about your belief system in UFOs.
4: Well, I mean, when, when you think about the universe, and you think about the life and all the planets, and, you know, very scientifically, we can't possibly be the only, uh, the only, uh, you know, beings that exist and the only beings that have evolved to create technology. So, you know, the, the likeliness that there are other species traveling with technologies more advanced than ours is very, very likely. So one of the things about Sudbury is with, with the nickel repository. So Sudbury was basically built when a giant uh, asteroid uh, slammed into the, um, or meteor just slammed into the, um, uh, the Earth there, depositing tons of resources that they're, they're mining to this day. And there's a belief that either uh, the extraterrestrials <clears throat> are attracted to what's in the ground because it's rich resources, or some of the theories are, are that maybe the resources themselves in the ground may be affecting the the way we see things. So sometimes our, our perceptions can be altered by waves and things in the ground. Uh, there's a neutrino lab in Sudbury, for example, where, you know, because of the, the cosmic rays that are constantly bombarding us, that it's so, so far deep underground that they can actually do proper experiments without the cosmic rays affecting them. But what... What shocked me when I when I decided to write Spooky Sudbury. I thought, okay, it'll be mostly ghosts. There'll be some other mysteries, and we'll have one chapter on UFOs. And when I started to dig into uh. it, I thought, Sudbury was a hotbed of UFOs. I ended up doing four chapters. I did the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and then the 80s and beyond. Um, and that was um, that was because there was an incident that actually involved sending the U.S. Air Force from Colorado Springs from NORAD all the way up to Sudbury because of something that they saw on the radars there.
3: Really? That's a great story.
4: Yeah. This was in uh, 76, I believe, uh, if I'm looking at my notes properly. And it was a really disturbing uh, time. It was 1975, I should say. And there were three different reports of these three objects in the sky and, and I believe the reason NORAD probably sent the fighter jets up was they probably thought they were Russian or something, something of that, of that regard. But there were pages and pages of documentation of what they saw and what happened that have, of course, been redacted. And so you look at these documents, you see, you know, there's like a couple lines here, and then it's all blacked out, it's all blacked out. So it's like something bizarre happened in the skies over Sudbury. And, uh, and 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 again, I was I was alive for that, and I remember people still talking ab- about just like the panic that was in the air at that time.
2: I used to
3: have so many men.
2: About six million.
3: Approximately eleven million dollars.
0: Nearly ten million dollars was all gone.
3: Employing whatever means necessary to bleed
0: her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, (laughs) because she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen
3: of the Con season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts,
0: or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: What is the God
3: helmet? What's that story?
4: (laughs) That is, this is uh, from uh, Laurentian University, uh, Dr. Michael uh, Persinger. And he, um, it's a Skidoo helmet, a snow machine helmet, which has been converted to put electrodes on. And it's a combination of putting somebody in a a room that's quite pretty sensory deprivation, putting the helmet on, and then triggering electrical stimulation with you know from this almost like an EEG but actually triggering different parts of the brain and actually stimulating a part of the brain that actually causes them to see things and what i found so fascinating about this experiment was that if a person is one who you know believes in ufos they will have they have this uncanny sense that there's a presence in the room with them and 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 if they believe in UFOs, that it is uh, an alien that's come down and, and has appeared in their room. Other people, it may be angels, it may be demons, it may be, you know, spirits of departed loved ones, whatever. And it's interesting when you look at the, the way that the triggering... So the question is, is, is it causing them to see things that aren't there, or is it allowing them to see things that are... That are there that we normally can't see, and so that was really fascinating to think that that was happening, you know, with a, a psychologist in, in in Sudbury, Ontario, where where I grew up. You know, always worried about what was what was there that I couldn't see in the dark.
3: What do you think the paranormal is all about in the first place, Mark? I think
4: the the paranormal in in general, like when you, when you think about every any society around the world, any culture, there is this, you know, question about what happens, uh, whether there's a soul, what happens when we die, do do, do we live on, that sort of thing. And so uh, the paranormal is one of the ways that we explore that and we look at it and we think about uh, the way that that's going to continue. When you think about hauntings and spirits and stuff like that, there's, you know, there's theories about it, if it's not a spirit or a soul of somebody or a demon or whatever, is it something that happened in a place in time that left a powerful impression like a you know like on an old cathode ray tube when when you know something was frozen on the screen for a long time and it just left an impression and are we seeing these film reels of something really traumatic that happened or some unresolved uh, incident so it's just uh, what what I love is that which tr- and we're trying to measure measure things with Stuff that's not typically or easily measurable by conventional methods.
3: Sad story about Emily in the attic.
4: Yeah, so this is this is one I'm working on for um, uh, a Weird Waterloo uh, where I live now, and this is this was uh, the old Galt Post Office uh, in in Cambridge, uh, Ontario, right beside Waterloo. And so Emily was a a woman who worked at the old post office. And we're talking about, oh, we're talking, you know, 1890s, uh, early 1900s. And there was a postmaster there by the name of uh, William Turnbull. And he was the postmaster. And Emily was this beautiful, young, single employee. Now, William was married. And William and Emily uh, began to have an affair. And they fell in love. And he remained married, and Emily was sort of starting to get restless. She was uh, approaching him about wanting to, you know, come out and talk about this. And the next thing they knew was she was found hanging from the rafters oh in God. the clock tower in the post office. It was in 1919 when this happened.
3: Suicide or murder?
4: Well, that's exactly the question. Is was it suicide or murder? There was a there was the the, the story uh, and it, it was unconfirmed as whether or not she was actually pregnant and maybe she hung herself because she was distraught at the thought of trying to raise a child on her own um, and then he died shortly after that and so it was never really solved whether you know she was murdered or, or whether something happened but Emily's ghost would sometimes people uh, so this this building uh, was turned into restaurants and bars and clubs two or three over over uh, decades. And sometimes uh, when the staff were working late at night, they would look up and they would see a shape as if there was something hanging there. Every once in a while they could hear a crying. They could hear a wailing coming from uh, – from it seemed to be coming from above uh, that they believed was Emily that was crying. They've done numerous investigations over the years. And interestingly enough, the building's now a local library. Uh, and again, there are reports of librarians hearing – uh, hearing strange noises, hearing hmm. the crying coming from uh, you know places where there's nobody uh, there. So that was a that was a really fascinating story, but also you know quite sad for for poor Emily.
2: Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at one a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.
0: Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple
1: Podcasts,
0: or wherever
1: you get your podcast. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB.